welcome back to episode six of Happier Days podcast. I know my voice is a little bit different than the normal host. Costa, unfortunately, is a little under the weather, so he wasn't able to be here today. But we do have a special guest on, so we wanted to make sure to record this episode and get it out to you guys in a timely manner. Um, I'm also here with my other guy. He can introduce himself. Uh, yeah, so my name is Ashton. Um, I've been a part of the podcast for a little bit, but I've kind of just done some off-the-scene stuff, just kind of hang out, put some ideas out there. But here I am uh, co-hosting with uh, Kay today. And then our special guest is Ruth Scheifler. Um, she's actually my aunt, but she can talk a little bit about herself because I'm not very good at explaining what she does, but she can explain to you what she does. Hi, I'm Ruth, and I'm really excited to be here. Um, I was real excited when I heard that this young, these young men were doing this podcast. Um, I've been working in mental health for almost 20 years now, and I'm excited that there's more discussions in the community, and especially with young adults about mental health and just being healthier healthier people. All right. So starting out the podcast, I guess we'll just go in timely order. Um, I should know this stuff, but I like to ask you the questions. Um, <laughs> so you don't know this stuff? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. But where did you, did you attend school? Where did you go to school? And what was your like degree in or your focus in, I guess? I actually came here to the University of Akron for my bachelor's degree and my master's degree. Um, the bachelor's degree was in psychology, and after I graduated, I worked in criminal justice for seven years. And so I kind of got an interesting view of the world through criminal justice. And then at that point, I really wanted to go back to become a counselor so I could help people maybe not get into the system and maybe get help before, <clears throat> before those things occurred. So then I went back for my master's degree here at the University of Akron as well. This is interesting because... Costa actually is going in the criminal justice for oh. the same reason, yeah. so he can kind of get involved on that side with the mental health aspect and be mm -hmm. able to help people out. Um, I don't know if you listen to his episode, but he went through a lot with his family, and he's kind of trying to turn that around to where he can help other people, and I think that's really cool, like you talked about. So, sorry, Costa, you're not here and can't <laughs> ask your fun questions, but after school, did you know you wanted to get to the place you are now, or... Did you kind of just go into that field because it seemed right to you, I guess? There were a couple of things that led me there. Um, once again, working in criminal justice, but then some personal stories as well. Um, I had a cousin when I was a young adult, I was probably 22 or 23, who was dying of cancer. And she was on hospice. And so in spending a lot of time at her house, um, I was there when, when the nurses and counselors would come in and spend time with the family. And there was this one counselor that I met that I just loved. And so I, I kind of looked up to her and thought, I want to be that lady someday. And so that was another driving force to going back to grad school and actually getting into counseling. Um, so some personal things and then some professional things. In criminal justice, there's so many people who struggle with mental health concerns and with substance use. And so I really had a passion for helping those individuals. And that was another huge driver for me. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I actually have heard that story many times from my mom. And like, it's one of those things that affected you guys as kids a lot, but I didn't really experience it at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I also noticed like when our grandfather was sick or not able to do everything he could, you guys were so helpful and everything to him because you've been through that before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's cool that you can use past experiences in your life to help out other people. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here is like use that experience we've gone through with mental health and be able to understand what got us through it and mm -hmm. help other people possibly use that to get them through it. Um, I guess the other question for me is like, what's, what's the favorite part? What's your favorite part about being in the field you're in? Hmm. That's interesting. I meet so many neat people. And with mental health, it's really interesting because there is a stigma. There's still a stigma out there about who struggles with mental health concerns. And the reality is most of us at some point in our life are going to struggle with something. And so whether it lasts six months or a year or whether it lasts 15 years, we all are going to hit those times in our lives that are more difficult. Um, and the job that I have now 
is much different than when I first started in the field. And I work with a lot of professionals. I work with a lot of doctors and nurses and teachers and attorneys and accountants who struggle with everyday concerns. And so it's not just this stereotype of who can struggle with depression, anxiety, even substance use. I think that's like a, <clears throat> it's like a big thing why we kind of want to start the podcast in general is uh, just bringing that stigma down, especially for males. Um, a lot of times mm. you see suicide rates, males always way higher than the females. And it's just, it's kind of sad just to see people kind of push their own mental health away and not really touch mm -hmm. on it. So, Well, and so many times if I'm successful in my career and I'm making good money and I'm supporting my family that's if that part of my life is okay i tend to ignore that mm -hmm. i'm sitting behind the dumpster behind the grocery store drunk and my wife can't find me mm -hmm. and so it's there's this weird kind of separation there that if i'm successful in these other areas of my life then let's ignore this part yeah. and that can only go on for so long before the wheels start to fall off i think going off of what you just said about like not realizing when you are going down a path and even like sometimes people realize and kind of just deny it because they want to feel mm -hmm. like they're not going down that path. Me and Ashton were talking earlier and I guess one of the biggest things is like as college students, obviously we should strive to not go down that path, but also like what are, if you know any like big like telltale signs that other people in our life may need help mm -hmm. and like talking to them about it. Cause sometimes you know, it's college, people are partying on the weekend, having fun, but sometimes it just gets to that point where you can tell it's too much. Mm -hmm. But when when is the point where you think you should reach out and be like, hey, maybe this isn't okay? For yourself or for someone for else someone that else. you're seeing? Oh. I guess in like general, more as in like, if you see them drinking, because I mean, we are in college, it's, it's going to happen. Right. But there's also a line where you you have to draw it where are you drinking to have fun? Are you drinking to mm. not feel something? Are you constantly drinking to a point where you're just trying to be like numb yourself? And it also, right. it also could relate to smoking, um, like smoking weed or anything like nicotine nowadays. Like when is there a way where as our friends or as like peers where we can see people mm -hmm. going down that path and see if we can correct their path in like any way? And I think that's hard because those are hard conversations to have. You may have a gut feeling. Typically, it's your gut that says, wait a minute here. I'm worried about Cade. These are things that I'm seeing. And that gut feeling, I think, is a really good thing to listen to first. And then to even just have a simple conversation about, hey, what's going on? I don't know that I would jump to the, hey, you're drinking every weekend and I'm concerned kind of thing. But mm -hmm. just the this is kind of what I'm seeing and just the humanity of what's happening in life. Is everything okay? Maybe they're a little more distant. Maybe they're not spending time with the guys anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not going to class. Um, usually people start to pull away. And so you can feel a little bit of distance in those relationships. I think one of the biggest things like in my opinion is when I see other people struggling or even with mental health, not even with substance abuse, but like that initial reaching out is so hard because mm -hmm. you almost feel like they're going to get mad at you for reaching out to them and like being worried about them. And I actually saw somebody, he's like a famous Twitch streamer. I forget what Twitch streamer he is, but he was talking about mental health and what he said like really hit home because he, he had a friend in his life commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And his his whole thing was like, I was so scared the whole time to not say anything because to, to see he was so scared to say anything because he was afraid that he was going to get mad at him. Mm -hmm. But if he's mad at him, at least he's mad at him and he's still here. Right. And I think that's so big is like, we shouldn't be worried about ourselves, what that relationship is going to look like after we try and help somebody get things figured out. And most of the time, if it ends well and they understand they needed help, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to turn around in the future and that person's going to love you even more just because they know you were with them through that situation, I guess. The reality is if you are having that conversation with them in the beginning, they're probably going to be prickly. Mm -hmm. They're probably not going to just be like, oh, I'm so glad you asked. But like you said, are you willing to give up that discomfort in the beginning for 
them getting better in the long run or them even knowing. I hear this all the time. I've worked with youngsters in the past, teenagers especially, who have said, I wish my mom loved me enough to tell me that she was worried. Or I wish my dad loved me enough to tell me I was screwing up because the parents were too nervous to say anything. So yeah, you're probably going to get some back backlash, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And those are tough. Those are really tough things to bring up because that person's really hurting. Yeah, that is a that is a tough thing to. I mean, cause you you always everybody goes through things these days um, with social media where it's at. Everybody mm-hmm. tries to compare themselves online, or they see their friends out and they didn't get an invite. They just there's just so many things nowadays. I think a lot of times people don't take that step back and realize what's truly matters in their lives. And they kind of just push everything. Like you said earlier, um, someone could be supporting their family. They could make the money. They could give their family everything yet. They're behind a dumpster and they don't know where to go because they're not mentally happy or healthy. Right. So, and even though you upset them, you might upset them when you first reach out, just the fact that you reach out may open the door for them to come back. And be like, hey, you know, why did you say that? And that could then help maybe a week or a month down the road. Maybe that person would come back and say something. I guess like a different viewpoint, like I'm curious about is not necessarily on what you should do if you should see somebody else. I would say more personal, like, do you have any specific things that people could look out for in their day-to-day lives where maybe they should realize they're not mentally happy, whether it's they're waking up sad and they're feeling like they can't do anything that day. Like maybe sometimes you just wake up and your batteries aren't charged. Mm-hmm. Do you think it'd be better to just not do anything that day? Or do you think people should try to go, you know, like that, I guess that's like my general question as do you have any like insight as and in what should people do if they're trying to figure out if they're not mentally okay and stuff like that? I think not being interested in the everyday life. If I wake up and I'm not feeling well, and I don't want to hang out with my friends, and I don't want to go to class, and I'm missing work. Um, We all have those days. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it could be a week that we feel that way. But if that's something that's happening consistently, you know, just last week I took a day off work. Mm -hmm. I was like, I woke up. I'm like, I'm not going to be worth anything today. I am not going in today. So I took a day off work, and it was a mental health day. Mm -hmm. That is okay. If that extends out for another week or two, I need to be careful. And so it's okay to give ourselves a break. But when it becomes something that I'm I'm now having a hard time getting back into the swing of things and connecting with other people again, then that's a sign that I probably need to reach out to somebody. Would you say like reaching out to a friend is the best way? Do you think counseling would be the direct answer? Because I know a lot of people... um, go straight to I don't want to reach out to counselors or I don't want to reach out to my friends um do you see a scenario where it's easy to reach out to one or the other do you think it's just like case by case I think it's case by case and honestly when I'm talking to people about doing community education and how do we you know find help reaching out to anybody whether it's a family member or sometimes I had a young man start treatment with me last week And he didn't feel comfortable talking to his parents Mm -hmm. or his friends, but he felt comfortable talking to his dad's best friend's wife. So it was distant enough, but someone he trusted enough. Um, Sometimes it's your doctor. Sometimes it's a random person in class that maybe doesn't know me too well, and I can at least tell them I'm having a bad day. Um, Just to say something to somebody, Mm -hmm. I think, is the best place to start. I think one of the like biggest things like going off of like not having interest in like daily life is like during my senior year of high school I took a lot of classes at Akron and that was when I was in computer engineering and like the whole semester I mean I was used to high school classes and I didn't want to get up like for days at a time sometimes and I didn't want to go to class and I mm-hmm. I kind of blamed it on the fact that I had to drive 30 minutes mm-hmm. or the classes were boring or stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I realized that I sat down with my parents and I was like, Hey, this isn't for me. Like this, this major isn't for me and I'm not enjoying it. And when I switched majors, I've done so much better in class. I ended up failing classes that year that I just didn't show up to. 
But the next year when I came back and I was in a different major and I had those classes that I actually enjoyed, right. I had a 3.1, 3.2 compared to like a 2.0 because it's just having that enjoyment in your life. And I think that's another thing is like money versus happiness. It's like computer engineering. I could have gone out and made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year easily out of school, Mm -hmm. but being in a business degree, I'm much happier and I might not make that, but I would rather be happy and not make the money than make the money and not be happy. Right. And I think that's, I don't know, a huge balance that a lot of people fight with. And like the other thing about like reaching out to people you trust one thing our buddy Riley says all the time is like he wants to break the stigma of being like um walking up to your friends being like hey what's up he wants to say hey how have you been or how have you been feeling because like you can go say hey what's up and somebody's gonna be like oh nothing doing good like that's what they're gonna say every time but if you from the jump in that relationship build that trust I think it makes a huge difference and it is weird because when I meet new people now that's some of the first questions I ask them. It's like, what do you struggle with? Like, wh- what causes anxiety in your life? And right. at first, they're always like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? But then, right. like, throughout the relationship, they're able to come to you as a person because they trust you. And I think even if neither of you are experts on the topic, just being able to go and talk to somebody about it helps loads. It helps a ton. It's huge. And even just to you put that question out there and then to listen. So many of us, we get glossy eyed and we, hey, how you doing? And we just walk by. But then to actually listen to them makes a huge difference. And if you can have those little conversations, then the bigger ones are going to come easier. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it recently has to do with, I mean, I hate harping on it, but COVID in general kind of screwed us up as Mm -hmm. human beings. And I think we got so used to just communicating through our phones and not having those day-to-day conversations with people. And I think people are really taking a step back, just being human beings again. And I think just that conversation, like Cade said, like, how are you doing? Like, how's your day been? I think a lot of people aren't used to that. They're just used to the quick animated response. Uh, good. How about you? Right. Because that's, that's what we just, we just went through. And I mean, even before COVID, a lot of the times we're just going through our day-to-day lives, just not really thinking about it. So I think just being good at saying, Hey, how have you been? Um, how are you doing? It's just that next step and just trying to be closer with somebody and being there for someone. We are learning to communicate again. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed that with some of my clients that I have only seen since COVID. And when they walk in the office to have a conversation with somebody, some of them struggle. And then sometimes, you know, they take their mask off and it's even harder. So it has been a challenge with connecting with other people. Yeah, because you don't know who you're going to have a conversation with at the end of the day. They could right. they could be going through nothing or they could be going through like the death of a really close family member. And people are really mm-hmm. good at hiding emotions because all we know these days is hiding behind our phones. So right. I think in ways COVID did, but I think in general humans can be humans and we just got to try to make that, take that next step. So, right. I mean, the other thing we've seen with COVID too is an increase in substance use. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are feeling very lonely and disconnected and stressed and at home with extra time. Mm-hmm. And so that's an easy thing to see someone rely on. Well, I think the interesting thing like with COVID is like a lot of people like their, their personality style kind of shifted. Cause like with me, I mean, obviously you would know it family events, family Christmases, stuff like that. Like as a kid, I was always the center of attention. Like that's Mm -hmm. what I strived for. (laughs) Even if I had to be annoying, uh, like out of control, like I just want to be the center of attention. But now being in college and like after COVID, when I'm in a big group of people, I'm a lot more introverted than I used to be. Hmm. And I I enjoy having, yeah, I enjoy having one-on-one conversations a lot more than I do with a group of people. And I, a lot of times like in a group, big group of people, like when we have, our chapter meetings for fight out and we have 40, 50 people in there. I'm just like in the corner, just anxious because there's so much going on around me that I'm not used to where during COVID you were just sitting here looking at your phone all day and that was it. Right. And also the thing about like when I had COVID just sitting at home on the couch doing absolutely nothing for two weeks, it's Mm -hmm. mentally just draining. Like it's, it's, it's really tough on your, um, your brain, especially. Right. And I think as, as college young adults, you guys have had an interesting 
experience. I feel for you because it has not been your typical college experience. And so there's a lot of added stress and, you know, am I going to have to, are my classes extended? And, you know, am I going to get that co-op that I was looking for? Um, is everything going to kind of work out the way we anticipated? And it's been different. I think the biggest thing for me was just the waking up and not having the will to turn my computer on and mm -hmm. listen to a class for an hour. I think that was my hugest like struggle going through COVID. Um, I had to wake up and be like, hey, I'm not going to pay attention anyway, so why am I even going to mm -hmm. join? And I think it's a lot on me, but I think a lot of people actually went through that where they're not learning on the computers. And right. it's nothing against the professors. It's just we, we have our phones right next to us. We're we're glued to those things so why who's stopping us from pulling it out and just scrolling through tiktok or something right as I, in if you're in class you you have to take notes your your professor's not going to let you sit there and doodle around on your phone right so i think that was really mentally weighing and just in general it, it just kind of sucked <laughs> and we're created to be social beings mm -hmm. you know and so when we're not around people when we're not hanging out with our friends it's not as good for us. It's, it's a challenge. I remember last semester, um, or no, that was the first semester of my freshman year, so two semesters ago, I had marketing principles. And I knew like you had to log on to the class, you didn't have to do anything, you just had to be there. <laughs> and I sat up in my bed, logged on to my class, and woke up an hour and a half later to my professor asking me while I was still in the classroom. <laughs> and I was like, what just happened? Like, what just happened? And I don't know, it's funny, like, thinking about during COVID, I mean, I know me and probably a lot of other students, it wasn't like, hey, I need to get an A or a B. It was, I need to get a C so I can get a credit in the class and I can take credit, no credit, mm -hmm. and be fine. Yeah, and I right. think just nobody had any motivation, especially not being in person. Like, college is tough. And unless you have those professors, like, on you, like, hey, you got to turn this in. Right. Or in person, like you got to do this by next week. I, I'm not paying enough attention to the calendar that doesn't remind me about everything. And I miss assignments, mm -hmm. do stuff like that. So being in person this semester, even two classes out of the four has helped tremendously. Right. The other thing that plays into that for mental health is if that's how I'm approaching my classes, but I have a value system of strong work ethic, I'm not now living up to my values. And so with depression and anxiety, when we don't live up to our values, that causes a lot of trouble for us. And so then even though you're doing the best you can and you know just kind of surviving in whatever you're, you've been handed, it still doesn't feel good. And so then that leads to self-doubt and the critical self-thinking and I should be doing better or I, I, I wish I were doing better than I am. Yeah, I think what you just said kind of touched where I'm at. So like going through COVID, uh, I've always kind of hold myself to a standard where I can be smarter than a bunch of people. And that's just how I always was. Like I always wanted to be the smartest. And I think going through COVID kind of put me where like, Hey, like we're all struggling through something. And I, I was getting good grades still, but I wasn't learning anything because mm -hmm. I was going through the day-to-day -day motions, but I would go take an exam and to be all online and it would be an all online test so I could use any resource. So at the end of the day, I was getting good grades, but I wasn't learning anything. And it really, mm -hmm. it really sucked. And it, like you said, it kind of did create that little depression where am I really learning this? Like, what if I need this in the future? What if a future class needs this? Right. So it was kind of the thing where my whole life I was, I've always been smart. But I've also, the past couple of years, it almost feels like I faked it. Mm -hmm. and it kind of like made me rethink a lot of things where am I good enough to get a job am I going to need this in the future am I going to be able to fake it you know what I'm saying that kind of stuff so yeah right. I think I think now I, I try to hold myself to a better standard where I got to study for something I got to sit there and focus um but I think that has lots to do with being in person and having classes in person and stuff I think the interesting thing you said like about self self-doubt was like through high school, I mean, I was a 4.0 student and probably wouldn't even have to show up to class. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. I was at class every day, but, like, didn't have to study, didn't have to do anything. And that senior year when I was failing those classes, like, my parents came up to me 
And at that point, like, they've never experienced me going through that. So, like, they were just like, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. you need to step up your game and get your grades up. And, like, in my mind at the time, I've never struggled through anxiety, depression, anything like that before. So, I don't I don't know what's going on. I just know something isn't right. And now, like, a year later, I look back on it and I'm like, that was one of the most depressing times of my life. Mm-hmm. And now I'm able to talk to my mom about stuff like that and, like, open up to her, which is amazing because, like, Getting past that first step is like with friends, like getting past that first step and be able to talk to them and them just listening, like does a lot. And a lot of times I'm like, I don't want to let my parents down. And so like, I've, I've been able to talk to my mom about that stuff now. And now she like understands what I went through, why, why I was like that for a while. And even this summer, like in my internship, I had a great time during the internship, but I had a lot of stuff doing like a lot of stuff going on in my life at the time back home and then being in Charleston and like that together, like I can look back on the summer and be like, that was the worst time I've ever had in my life in my whole 21 years. And just building off of like, this is where I was at and I don't want to get back there. What did I do to get here? So like next time something like that happens, I'll do that to get here again. And it's right. like, I don't know, kind of like building your own tool chest of things to be able to help you get through situations in life. The hardest thing I think with an initial time of depression or anxiety is it's oftentimes a slow fade and it's this just slow progression of things just getting a little bit more difficult and a little bit darker it's for most people it's not this really drastic drop and you're thinking what in the heck just happened and so now you're in the thick of the darkness and you don't even know you're there And so sometimes, and then maybe someone comes up to you and says, Hey, you know, what's going on? And you're like, nothing's going on. Yeah. I'm, I'm stressed. Life is a little difficult, but nothing's happening. And that's the other part of the defensiveness is you may not even know that you're not operating at the level that you want to operate. And then someone says something and that may make you think a little bit and then maybe go back later and be like, okay, wait a minute here. But yeah, in the beginning, most people aren't aware that they're drifting. I feel like I've had an aha moment recently in the past like year because I remember going through high school and uh, I always had a good group of friends. I was always the guy who could make friends with anybody and anybody I could. And I always went through the soccer practices and stuff. I was always, my Mm -hmm. mind was always on something. And when I got to college and especially when COVID hit, I didn't have as big as a friend group. I didn't have as many people around me as I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think it really hit me as in where I don't have as much people as I used to to reach out to. And I wasn't okay with that, and I didn't know why I wasn't okay with that. And recently, I've kind of just narrowed my circle down even more because I've been able to realize I don't need everybody in my mm-hmm. life. I don't need 20 friends that don't really care. I only need a couple. And I think that's one of the big things where I've been able to grow as a person, as in when I got to college, I was super depressed, as in I only had two friends and I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And whether that was joining Fight Out or whether that was just me growing up, I think finding people that have same interests, that have the same goals in life, that are going on the right path and leading you on the right path as well is huge. And I was, I'm, I'm more... I'm able to kind of look away from, I don't have as many friends as I used to, but I also have better quality friends. And I think that's a huge thing that I had to get over. And whether that's a dumb reason to be depressed about, I think it's, I don't know. But I think in general, I've gone to a point where I'm okay with being alone sometimes and like day to day, because obviously I have people from home 45 minutes away and I didn't have many friends last year just because COVID and I wasn't in a big group. Right. And now it's like, okay, I don't care. Well, it, I'm, I'm better now. I was going to say, I can kind of like piggyback off that. Um, coming to Akron, like I feel like everybody experiences this as a freshman. Like in high school, you have all these friends, all these so-called great friends, and you're going to be with them for the rest of your life. But from high school, I can only name the amount of people in the same hand that I still even talk to. Right. Um, but, like, one of my really good friends um, is in Fido, and, like, I grew up with him, like, literally knew, known him since birth, and I've been best friends with him ever since then, and it's funny when I see people around Akron, and I talk about him, and they're like, wait, you're friends with him? And it's just because when I got to Akron and joined the fraternity and got to meet people that, like, I connect with a lot more, I just 
naturally spend more time with them, even though we're still great friends. We just don't have all the same like connections, likenesses and stuff to do outside of school. And so like I naturally gravitate towards the other people now. And I think just like giving advice to any college students, it's obviously you should join different groups, organizations. It not only looks great on your resume, but it also helps a lot. Like with just meeting new people. I know sometimes it's really tough to get out there and meet new people, but it'll definitely help you in the long run, I think. And I don't know. I know I'm always willing to meet a new person in college. So like, don't be scared to just go up to a random person and ask them about their life. Like it seems weird, but I do it all the time. And you may be surprised in the way you connect with them. It may be totally different than other friends you have, but in a really cool way. Yeah. Um, do you do you see a lot of that in your work day to day? Like, do you see a lot of people that go to college or go to new things and they don't have a good group behind them and that's making them sad? Or do you? Connection is huge. It really is for anybody. I think at any age and mm-hmm. stage in life. And when we are not connecting with other people, just like your story of you connecting with your mom, I, I love that because she's someone who's always going to be there. And so if, if you're not connecting with other people, she's someone that you can rely on if you need to. Um, but yeah, I, I hear that a lot. People feel very lonely mm-hmm. and very superficial relationships in their life that, like we talked earlier, it's, hey, how you doing? Have a great day. You know, how was your weekend? but not that quality of somebody that you feel like you could really confide well, in. Well, I think in knowing those people in your life is so important. Like, who's that person you can call if you're having an issue? And, like, I, I actually have, like, a personal experience. Um, but in my life, like, I'm not saying I've never been depressed. Obviously, there's been times <laughs> in my life where I haven't had the best uh, mental status as I should um, to be healthy in my life. But... There's one specific instance. It was my senior year of high school. And one of my friends from church actually graduated. And he was going to college. He was working. And I haven't seen him for a few months. And I just, still to this day, I talk to him on like every so often. Like it's not even an everyday thing. It's like every few months. And like he's one of those people that I know that is going to be there for me my whole life. No matter if I'm an adult and need to call him to talk. But I was at work and I actually cleaned up my church and at like 1230 in the morning because I always cleaned after school. So I would always clean from like 8 p.m. to like 2 Mm a.m. But I was at church cleaning and it's this giant building by myself. And I don't know what it was. I think it was just the end of the semester and I was working two jobs and I was just really stressed. But I actually had a panic attack while I was cleaning at Mm -hmm. this church by myself. And I've never experienced that before. So I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I have I texted him just to hang out like a few days before that. He never answered. But that night at 12.30 in the morning, I texted him and said, hey, can you call me now? 30 seconds later, he called me. And I think Beautiful. just having those people in your life to be able to talk you down from those moments like he didn't even he didn't even talk to me. He literally just asked me questions and just let me talk it out myself. But you can't do that looking at a wall. Right. Like you just need somebody to be able to talk to and like say I call Ashton. He's just like, what's going on? What are you thinking about? Why are you thinking this? Just having those questions to be able to ask other people around you just to be able to calm them down and then find a solution to it. Right. I really it really irks me when people are like you call them and they automatically are like, oh, do this, do this, do mm-hmm. this. Instead of their first initial reaction being like, hey, what are you thinking? Or Because, I don't know, in my opinion, being a Christian, okay, I always talk about this to people, but if I would go up to a lot of my Christian friends and talk about this, or say I was having a panic attack, the first thing they would say is, hey, pray to God, which is great. Like, obviously, I believe that's going to help me in the long term, but in the short term, I'm sitting here freaking out. I can't even think about doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so many different instances with people that don't even believe in religion, but you have to figure out short-term solutions and then long-term solutions instead of just going to, hey, you should go to therapy, but you can't get in for four days. Right. So like some things help, some things 
hope in the future, but something's hope in the present. I don't know where I'm going with this. But. And But you make a really good point, too, on the other end of that, is if someone reaches out to you, you don't have to have the answer. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be able to to solve that problem. All you have to be able to do is listen. And there are clients at times that I have clients that sit in my office and this one gentleman one time was telling me about his um, stepson who died of suicide. And it was like a couple of days after his, his son's death. And my words to him were, I don't know what to say. I had no, I had no words for this I mean, man. What do you say? Right. You know? And so I think the humanness part of that was, this is awful. I really don't have any words of advice, but I'll be here with you and we'll sit and we'll talk. And so I, I think sometimes it's it, we don't have to have the answers for those people mm-hmm. that we're concerned about or that come to us. It's just being there in that moment. I think that's one of our greatest abilities as a human and um, just sitting there listening. Because mm-hmm. like you said, you're not going to have the answers every time. And especially coming from us, we're obviously not trained to do anything and for anybody. Um, but we can listen. We can be right. there for them at um, times of need. Um, if there's a scenario where obviously they're on like suicidal thoughts, maybe they need to be watched by somebody who can make sure nothing's going on. That's a different scenario. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's just going through like a breakup or like a family member is like sick or something, maybe they just need to be there as a friend. And I think that's one thing that we can always do no matter what scenario, mm-hmm. as long as it's not super, super urgent. And sometimes that's the best answer you can give them is right. just your ears. And nobody's going to ever know every answer to everything. Right. And like you said, what do you say in that moment? Like, what do you say? There are no magical yeah. words a lot of times. Even being a trained counselor mm-hmm. doing this for 20 years, there are times that mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. Yeah. And I think that's being, I think they people appreciate that more mm-hmm. than me trying to make something up. I think an interesting thing, like talking about what you talked about earlier, is like having those people you trust, there's really no age gap. There's no mm-hmm. gender difference. Like you trust different people for certain reasons. And one thing I think of specifically is like my grandmother that passed away on my mom's side. I was, what, probably 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember all of our family in the house, and obviously it was a time of mourning, like it was a sad time. But my dad looked at me, and my grandpa was sitting in the corner by himself, and everybody was crying over the situation, and I'm sitting here just trying to absorb everything. And he was like, hey, you got to go talk to grandpa. And I'm mm. sitting here, and I'm like, what? Like, I'm this little 15-year-old kid in this situation. Like, nobody else can go talk to him. Right. And he looked at me. He's like, you're one of the only people that he can, that can take his mind off of things. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, like, one big thing that resonated with me was, like, it doesn't matter who you are or it, it, it doesn't matter who you are, how different you are from that person. But if you have that ability to connect with them and to be able to take their mind off things, sometimes you just do it. I don't know. It was like one of those moments where I was like, I don't know what to say. Like you said, like, I don't know what to say in that situation, but I just sat there and just like, joked around with him and everybody around us is crying we're sitting here laughing and like everybody's like what's going on but you were just being Cade yeah and that's the important thing that's what grandpa needed was for you to be Cade I just thought it was I just thought it was weird because like I connected with him so much that there are so many instances I can like pinpoint in my life that like people trusted me more than the my 50 year old dad to like be in that situation (laughs) right and there's value. Everybody brings a value to the interactions that you have. And like I have, I have a, a lady that I text on a bad day. And all I have to text to her is, oh, it's a rough day. And all she texts back is, I got your back. There's no questions what's going on. There's nothing. But there's something that's calming and knowing that I can just say something that I'm having a bad day and she's got me. Mm-hmm. And we, sometimes we don't even talk about it in, you know, when we see each other ne- the next time, mm-hmm. but it's just that, no, know, that knowing of here's somebody who's on my side mm-hmm. if I need them. And I think on the other side too, is we have, as people, we have to be more open with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, as we alluded to earlier, we just bottle things up 
and then we don't realize we're drowning. And right. I think just just shooting that simple text to your friend, hey, I'm I'm not okay right now, or I'm not I'm not okay, but as in like I'm not doing great today. And just getting that out is you taking accountability for you're not okay, mm-hmm. and you just need to let out some things. And I think that's like a huge step people don't want to take and they're scared to take, just because they're proud of themselves or they're stubborn. And I think people just need to be way more open to, hey, I'm not okay. Can we sit and talk or can you just hang out with me for a little bit? I used to work in a program that it was all treatment groups. And so people would come into this treatment group and not know anybody in the room. And it always amazed me, first of all, the courage it takes to walk in that room, knowing that I'm struggling and I'm walking into a room with 10 other people. But the relief people felt once they just could talk about what they're struggling with, mm-hmm. you know, because we do have these, our pride gets in the way and I must be weak if I'm not doing well in school or, you know, I'm, if depression is kicking my butt, then I must not be strong enough. And to walk into a room with 10 other people who are feeling similar, there's this really cool feeling that people get a validation and I am Okay. I just need to get through this spot. I think going back on like what you said of like people hiding that because of their pride is like I'm going back to the religion thing because like I'm at church every weekend and that's just (laughs) how it is. But I recently switched churches and my old church was more traditional and a lot of like older people, not a lot of even... I mean, I guess my parents are old now, but they come (laughs) with me now. But when I was at church, we actually had a whole lesson about mental health, which was like nothing I've ever heard in a church building before, because a lot of people kind of avoid that because it is a soft subject. And one thing a lot of people will talk about when they're in church or like talking to people is their testimony. And I think having everybody has a testimony. Like you don't have to be religious to have a testimony. It's, It's what you've lived through in life. And he talked about how we come into church and all of us have on these happy faces and we have a great family. We have a great life and we're never mm-hmm. going to tell anybody about it. But on the way home, we're yelling at our kids or we're having money mm-hmm. problems or we can't go get food because that's more expensive than this food and we're poor right now. And I think that right there, not even being connected to church, but like in real life is a lot of times, especially with families, I, I mean... I've experienced this with a lot of parents. It's like every time they talk to each other about stuff, they're just like, oh, we're good. Mm -hmm. And just don't talk about it. And I think you saying like opening up is such a big thing because say I see some guy in the middle of the street and just go talk to him and talk to him about my life. Even if he doesn't want to hear it, a lot of times somebody will connect to something in your life. Mm -hmm. Like everybody will have something to connect in your life. And I think that's huge is just being open about what you've gone through because there's nothing embarrassing about it. Like a lot of people think it is like it, it takes that pride level out of it. But I think it's more courageous to talk about your life than it is to hide it. Because at that point you're like, Hey, I've been through this, but I've got through this and I'm stronger Mm -hmm. because of it. And so I don't really care if you're going to have opinion against me because of what I've gone through in life. Right. We do get stronger. We are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. And to share that with somebody else who's maybe in the thick of this, that's really powerful. And they may not realize how strong they are in the middle of this mess. So I guess my last question is, obviously this is more personal experience than professional, I'm guessing. But a lot of times in my life, I've been scared to tell like, people things that in my opinion are above me or like are my superiors that would let them down just because Mm -hmm. I'm a lot of times so scared of letting people down that I'll overload my schedule and then get stressed out by that and then have to cancel things anyway but in the initial start I can't say no to it because I'm a people pleaser so do you have any recommendation of like how to get over that hump of like even though this guy is my superior I can say no to them or I don't know. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think that's a challenge. And that's something I've struggled with throughout my life and gotten in some sticky situations because I 
couldn't say no. And for me, it was a lot of just practicing and saying no to little things, you know, and saying no, going back to my values. Do I want to always say yes at work because I don't want to disappoint them, but then I'm saying no to my family. And so what are my values and how do I want to align with those? But for me, it was just saying no to the little things and just learning to hear that word come out of my mouth. Sometimes that's the hardest thing is, you know, just saying no. Mm. And, um, once again, you do run the risk of disappointing someone. But as an, as a clinical director, I supervise a lot of different people. And it's interesting because I always get that feeling from the opposite side when I'm asking one of my staff members to do a public presentation or take on a specific case. And it's funny because I, I often say, you're allowed to say no, mm-hmm. because I know how hard it is for them to say no. But I, I also do respect them when they say, you know, Ruth, I can't. I've got so much going on. I'm already doing this. I've got a full caseload. I'd rather have them say no and find someone who can versus then not be able to do it themselves or feel disappointed or overloaded because they couldn't. I think that grows a lot of self-worth too. Yes. Knowing that you are worth a lot more than just making somebody happy. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you have to be true to yourself. Can I, can I provide the best results in this scenario? And sometimes you can't just because you have a million other things going on in life. Right. And saying no to people that you wouldn't usually say no to can also be like, hey, I don't have to be this person that I'm not. And I think realizing that I can do a lot, but I also don't have to is a huge thing that people don't realize. The other thing is sometimes people ask you to do something that you're not good at. And no matter how hard you try you're not going to be the best person for the job. And so I would rather someone tell me no and get the, the, the next person who actually is good at it and who, and who enjoys it. Mm-hmm. And so if it's going to be torture for one of my staff members to do something, I don't want them to be tortured. I want them to do, enjoy what they're doing and do it with their, all their passion. So, Well, I think uh, one of the people that's really good at that is Riley. He actually like... In his room, most people would think when you go in his room, like, there's too much going on and it's kind of a mess. But he has, like, <laughs> sticky notes all over his room, like, little reminders on his board, stuff like that. And one thing I read was, um, don't do anything you don't have to unless you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so big. Is like, there are things that people will word them in a way that, like, you feel like, oh, like, if I don't do this, I'm going to let them down. Mm-hmm. But until you get to that point where you're okay with saying no to things, you shouldn't say yes to everything. And I think that's one big thing I struggle with in high school a lot is because right. my dad said, like, I did so many different things. And, yeah, I enjoyed a lot of them, but, like, a lot of them could have been cut out and I could have mm-hmm. had a little more free time to myself where people are always saying, like, why do you work so much? Like, at school right now, I mean, I work 38 hours a week. I have 15 credit hours and I don't have time to even come to Akron most of the times on the weekend. So like, I don't know, it's like getting that balance right in your life to where you have enough time to yourself. You have enough time for your friends. You have enough time for work and study hours. Right. The flip side of that is also not saying no to something that could make me stronger Mm -hmm. or could build another, um, skill. And, you know, I I have a counselor who works for me now who every time I go to her, she's like, I'm going to get really nervous about this, but I know it'll make me better. And so then she'll do it. And it has made her better. She's a better clinician. She's stronger. She's tried different things that she probably would have never done. But she does put it out there. She'll say, Ruth, this is out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to try it. So I think there's a balance there between what do I really want to do and what's going to kind of push me to be a stronger person. I think one of the big things I guess I like think of when you said that is there's this like YouTube group called Yes Theory and their whole like basis of everything they do is like their motto is seek discomfort. Mm-hmm. And like that's like a big thing I've been trying to do more is do those things you're uncomfortable with because a lot of times when I do do those things I come out of it 
and I had a great time and I learned something new or I had a great time and experienced something new and like found something I like to do. And that's, I don't know, a thing I'd recommend to everybody is like seek that discomfort in your life, no matter what it is, like try hard to get better grades or do something different at work or go on a trip and rock climb and you've never rock climbed before. Like even if you're a little scared, like there's a lot of things in your life that you're missing out on because of that fear in your brain. It's kind of like, remember the first time you learned to ride a bike? You were super scared to get on that thing. You fell down hundreds of times. But a couple hours later, you were riding with no training wheels, no nothing. That, that happiness and that, that newfound adventure of riding your bike around the neighborhood. And just that kind of thing eludes like your whole life, basically, where, yes, don't do things you know you can't do, but also don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you could do something that could lead to the best experience of your life. Or lead to the best job you could get. You just, you have to, you have to pick and choose. Um, sometimes as humans, we don't want to take the risk, and we mm-hmm. think this could ruin me. Or in day to day life, like ah, I don't really want to go sing, or I don't want to get up on stage, or you know that kind of stuff. Where I don't want to be in front of a bunch of people. But then, hey, who knows what could come out of it? Mm-hmm. It's about balance, mm-hmm. challenging ourselves, and also respecting. Knowing our, our limits and our boundaries. Yeah. All right. So I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Ruth, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, it was awesome to get you on and get an outside perspective, especially outside of college kids, even though obviously we know everything. <laughs> we don't know everything. Um, one, a uh, couple things I'm going to say is keep supporting us. It's awesome to see you guys listening. I know it's... Christmas break and finals are finally over. So go listen to all our episodes. That'd be awesome. I'd really appreciate it. Listen to them with your family. Christmas morning, unwrapping presents, put on our podcast. Mm. That'd be kind of cool. Um, other than that, go follow us on our socials. And we're actually working on a newsletter currently. We don't know what the schedule is going to look like, uh, like release-wise, but we're trying to release our first one the 31st of December and then we'll go from there and see how many we can release a year or how long that goes on for. Um, that's in our link tree on our Instagram. Along with that is all of the different podcast websites and all of the different helplines and text lines that you guys would need. Like we say every time, if you have anything super serious at the moment and you need to get that taken care of, go to those text lines, go to those helplines. They're going to know a lot more than we are. But if you ever just want to reach out, you want somebody to talk to, or if you ever just want to share your story, reach out to us on any of our socials, and we'd be loving to hear that. You got anything, Ashton? No, I think you said it all. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to episode six. I'll see you guys in the next one. <laughs>